Theology of the Body Institute, this is the Ask Christopher West Podcast. Hi, podcast listeners. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode. We're happy to be with you today. I have to say, this is such a treat just to be able to reach people while I'm just talking with my husband. <laughs> God is so good to give me this opportunity. I, you know, I'm actually a little bit shy and reserved in when you meet me. <laughs> no, maybe shy is not the word, but I don't readily talk so deeply about things. But here, when we're together, we go there and it's a good thing. <laughs> It's a good opportunity for us. It's a good opportunity, love, for you to share your gifts. Because you have you have great gifts to share. Everybody knows that Wendy's the star of this podcast. I don't know about that. Yes, it's true. But here I have actually a comment to share from one of our listeners. Um, and this listener's named Christopher. Hello, Christopher. Good name. I like it. (laughs) Christopher says, Thank you for your podcast. I discovered it in mid-2020 and started listening regularly, catching up on the past episodes. All of them have been very helpful in exposing and expelling the lies of our society, which have crept into my life during the last half century. I've been pummeled with sexual temptations on a daily basis for the past 50 plus years. The effect of your podcasts has been a continuous reduction in both the intensity and frequency of these temptations in my life. Thanks be to God. Wow. Wow. That's awesome to hear, Christopher. You know what's funny, Wendy? When you read that he was a half century old, I thought, oh my gosh, this guy's old. Nuh-uh. That's what I thought. <laughs> well, I'm 52. That's right. What the heck? Not only do we share the same name, Christopher, probably about the same age. Yep. Brother... Stay the journey. I cannot tell you how encouraged we are to know that our podcast has played some role, however small, in in helping you. Thanks be to God. That's what we're doing this for. Thank you for those words of encouragement. Stay the journey, brother. And I love his example. You know, he's not saying I listened to one episode and then I was free. <laughs> you know, it's just it's just honest. I've listened yeah. to a lot of them, and over time. I see this reduction and I'm grateful for it. Yeah. Doesn't mean it's completely gone. That's right. But he's just seeing that he's, you know, bathing in some graces that are having their effect. And I think that's wonderful. Thanks be to God. Yeah. A patron named Annie has a question for Hello, us. Hello, Annie. Hi. Thank you so much for the work you do. As a young Protestant mother of two, I've learned so much from the resources you provide. It has deepened my faith as I've come to a better understanding of how I as a Christian am to live both body and soul together. My husband and I are looking for clarity in how to approach embryo adoption. We've noticed in our circles a trend in which a wife will feel passionately about embryo adoption and desire to help the babies that have been frozen as the result of IVF, but their husbands are not on board. Such has been our own case. My initial thought was that embryo adoption could be a way to alleviate the suffering that IVF has caused. And since it is an adoption, the baby placed in the womb already belongs to the adoptive parents. My husband views this similarly to surrogacy, since it separates pregnancy from the sexual act. 
It seems that the discomfort he and other men share is the idea that their wife would be pregnant with someone else's child. We've tried more than once to find succinct justification for embryo adoption that doesn't simplify it to an ends justifies the means argument, but we found nothing. It just grieves me to think there might not be a solution for these babies that are in such a state of helplessness and abandonment. Mm. How can we think through this biblically? Bless you, Annie. Wow. I see you wrestling with all of the right questions here. I feel your heart in wanting to alleviate the suffering of these real human beings. These are real human beings. These are real human lives frozen. Mm. It's just one of the signs that when you step out of God's plan, there are major consequences here, and we are reaping a really rotten fruit in all of this. But the question becomes, what can we do in the midst of this horror that has already happened, these children conceived technologically and frozen, is there something we can do? Well, the Catholic Church, I'm speaking as a Catholic, I, I'm so grateful to you as a Protestant sister in the Lord. Um, much of my conversion in my 20s, 30-whatever years ago, was uh, it came through the, largely through the influence of Protestant Bible studies and the whole emphasis on personal relationship with Jesus. That has blessed me so much, the, the love of Scripture in the Protestant world. Not that Catholics don't love the Scripture, but we all know that there's a particular love for Scripture amongst Protestants that you don't sometimes you don't find among Catholics. That influenced me greatly. So I just want to say, Annie, I, I, I love you as my sister in the Lord. Uh, I, I, I recognize the genuineness of your faith, and I'm so grateful that this podcast has been a blessing to you, and our Catholicism has not turned you off, but uh, actually, as you said, has enriched your own faith. That's just awesome. But speaking as a Catholic, uh, I, I lean into the magisterium of the Church for guidance on these issues, and in this issue, the magisterium of the Church has refrained from giving specific guidance and has left the question open, that seems to indicate that there are very strong and compelling arguments on both sides. And you've laid them out in the very question you've asked very clearly. Yeah. I can sympathize with your husband immediately when he is uneasy <laughs> at the thought of you, his wife, carrying a child that is not his. Uh, that is an indication that uh, his heart is in the right place, that he knows that offspring pregnancy is meant to come through the marital embrace, so his heart is in the right place there. But I'm also going to say your heart is in the right place to want to do something and wonder, could I rightly carry these lives to save them from being frozen indefinitely? Uh, so your heart is in the right place there. I don't have fault with your heart, and I don't find fault with his heart, which indicates we're in a pickle here. This is a pickle. And there may not be. I remember reading some wise theologian, uh, very faithful to the church, very insightful guy. I trusted him uh, deeply, and he said, we may be in a situation here 
where we've created such a, a difficult situation that there is no moral solution to it. Mm. That is, wow, that's, I, my, I, my jaw just drops at the very thought that you could be in a situation that has no moral answer. Mm. I, that's a dilemma of dilemmas right there. Um, but I will say this to you, Annie. If you would like to talk to a couple, I, I know a couple who went through embryo adoption. They, they didn't do it lightly. They, they looked at all sides of the argument, and they concluded that they were in good conscience in adopting an embryo and carrying that child. The child was born and didn't live very long because of some birth defects in that child. But I know this couple is very open to talking personally with other couples who are facing this situation. And if you would drop a line to us again through the, the question bar on your patron community website, um, just say, yes, you would like to talk to them. Give us your email, and I will get you in touch with that couple. And I, I know they'd be more than happy to talk with you and your husband about this. Christopher, I think you answered that difficult question the best that we can, which is almost like we don't know the answer. I, I feel like I can certainly relate to this feminine maternal instinct to say, there's a child yes, in me. Yes, yes. How can I help yes, this yes, child? Yes. And so, you know, that sense of like a feeling within you. A, a pain for those in pain and a sense that yes. these frozen babies are suffering for lack of being able to develop and live a normal life and wanting to help. Yes. You know, so I, I, I can relate to that. Um, but you know, I, I actually, it was illuminating for me years ago to hear a speaker at a, a conference we attended talk about the, very question your husband brought up is when we are giving ourselves to one or one another in marriage, are we promising to only as a woman only to be pregnant with your child, my husband's child? Is that part of our promise? The speaker felt that it was. And as you said, there hasn't been an official statement that that is the case, but it was something eye opening for me to consider. What does that say yeah. in our marriage bond yeah in the normal course of events that's exactly what you're committing to sure. because you're committing only to have sexual intercourse with your spouse mm -hmm. which means i'm committed only if i'm going to be pregnant i'm only going to be pregnant right. with your child that's the marriage commitment but here we have a totally unprecedented in all of human history situation where the question becomes is it justified for a woman with that motherly heart to say, I want to help these children who already exist. It is an interesting thing also that I've become aware of that although we are made for pregnancy as women, it is not the same thing to be pregnant with a child that's not your own. It is actually a challenge to your body Yes, yes. to carry a baby that's not your own baby. And it, it is contain includes risks that are not present when you're pregnant with your own child. So I think that's another, you know, sign like this is not the Lord's plan when we look at things like right. surrogacy and and the um the effects on these surrogate mothers. So all of that is to affirm it is a confusing and painful situation. And I certainly 
pray that the Lord would shine a light in your heart in how you are meant to, maybe you're called in a very particular way to intercede for these babies or to have some other work in relation to this very issue that um, that the Lord is really placing on your heart. And I certainly would never recommend any couple would go forward with that if both the husband and wife weren't feeling called to it. Yeah, uh, absolutely. There, there would have to be spousal agreement right. on that. Yeah. Thanks, Wendy, for adding that. I think that was helpful. Our next question is from an anonymous listener. This person says, thank you for the light you've shared through your work. I have been fundamentally changed by your work. Praise God. I'm having a lot of trouble practicing chastity with my boyfriend. Both of us keep repeating sexual sins and confessing and doing it over and over again. We know the gravity of what we're doing, and we debrief every time and try to work harder to do better as we discern our possible marriage to one another. I'm asking for practical advice on how to really avoid non-marital sex and how to renew and hope after confession. I'm always moved and healed by God's forgiveness, but I feel a sense of despair and hopelessness in our continued failure to respect each other's bodies. I'd also like to know if you have any advice for those struggling to persevere in prayer in moments of temptation and any advice for how to continue practicing chastity in a relationship after failing so many times. Bless you. Bless you. Bless you, dear anonymous listener. Thank you for entrusting your pained heart in this question to us. I hope we can offer a few things in a, in a brief context. Uh, what I'd really like to do is sit down with you and get to know you, hear some of your life story, and sp- maybe speak into that um, at a deeper level. We, we only have what we have based on what you've shared in your, in your question. But that is to say, these issues have deep roots. Sexual sin is not only sexual sin. Sexual sin is, is the fruit of a deep root in our lives. And what I, would, what I would encourage you to look at in your life with the help of the Holy Spirit, with the help of uh, a good spiritual director, with the help maybe of a good Catholic therapist, uh, please take advantage of the therapists that we list in our show notes. Um, There needs to be an exploration of the roots of this repeated behavior, because there there is a root to it. There's some root need that you think is going to be satisfied in this way. Here's a suggestion, a very practical one. We are offering here at the Theology of the Body Institute— we're offering a, a course, I say course lightly, because it's much more of a, a retreat uh, called Sexual Integration and Redemption. We're offering it with the help of Desert Stream Ministries. They specialize in getting helping people get to the root that has led to the rotten fruit of sexual sin, sexual brokenness, relational issues in their lives. Uh, We at the Theology of the Body Institute believe in the work of Desert Stream. It was founded by Andrew Comiskey 40 years ago. He's been working in this field 
for four decades. He's very wise. He came into the Catholic Church through the gift of the theology of the body. Uh, I had the chance to meet Andrew in the late 90s and hand him a copy of John Paul's teaching. He was a Protestant pastor at the time. And uh, a few years later, I discovered a CD of his in which he was quoting from John Paul's Theology of the Body. He's like, oh my gosh, he actually read the book. We, we became friends. He started attending courses at the TOB Institute. He converted to Catholicism. He has such a gift to share. This is why we are bringing him uh, to the TOB Institute, he, Andrew and his team. It is at the end of January into the first week of February 2022. So very practical suggestion to you, dear questioner, you and your boyfriend, and maybe possibly by then, maybe your fiance. I would invite you to attend this course, this retreat, and it will help you through what you learn in the presentations, but also through small group work that you'll be doing um, with a, a trained person. You'll break up into small groups, men in some small groups, women in other small groups, with a trained professional to help you go to the roots of this dysfunction in your life, this sexual brokenness in your life. There is no band-aid here. There's no, do this, one, two, three, four, five, these five steps, and you'll be healed tomorrow. <laughs> but there is a path, a, a, a well-worn path by the saints that has to do with a deepening interior life, which comes through prayer, through the sacraments, especially the sacrament of confession, which you've already shared you're going to regularly, the sacrament of the Eucharist. But the key I want to zoom in on here is a deepened life of prayer. What this retreat will help you do is to deepen your life of prayer. Prayer, the fathers of the church tell us, is nothing but becoming a longing for God. Sexual sin is, is a diverting of a human energy that is meant to lead us into prayer, that is meant to lead us into communion with God, sexual sin is a diversion of that energy in a way that breaks off communion with God and communion with one another. That's what we yearn for. We yearn for communion with God, and we yearn for communion with other human beings. That's what eros is in its deepest essence. Eros is the, is the desire of the heart and the body, our, our whole in integral humanity, body and soul, it is the desire of the human person for communion, first and foremost with God, and secondarily for communion with another human person. But sexual sin diverts the true orientation, uh, diverts the true trajectory of that eros, and in such a way that it leads to exactly the opposite of what we really want. It ruptures communion with God. It ruptures communion with others. So again, there are deep roots to that. I'd urge you to, to if you're able to come to that retreat, please do so. If you're not able to come to that retreat, uh, I would urge you to look at the mini retreat that Andrew and his team and I offered through our patron community. Um, this is available to all of our patrons. If you go to your pa patron website, and look at the retreats we offer our patrons. Look for the retreat I did with Andrew Kamiski and his team. I am also doing a retreat for patrons uh, on December 11th, 2021, with Dr. Bob Schutz. He has been a longtime friend as well, and he runs the John Paul II Healing Center 
in Tallahassee, Florida. They offer healing retreats as well to help us get to the roots of these things. Bob and I will be leading a retreat on December 11th for our patrons to look at our sexual wounds. And Bob Schutz has written a book I'd highly recommend. This is what we're going to be unfolding in his retreat. The book is called Be Restored, Healing Our Sexual Wounds Through Jesus's Merciful Love. This book uh, has been an aid in my own journey of healing. It will be an aid in your journey of healing in leading you again to the roots that have led to these rotten fruits. So those are some practical suggestions I'd, I'd offer to you. Wendy, do you have... I'm just grateful for your humility in reaching out. It is hard to admit to, you know, having such struggles, and I really am grateful that you have reached out to us. And I I know there is help, and I know you've, you know there's help. You know you're getting some help through going to the Sacrament of Confession, but you know there's more help to be found, and that's awesome. I, I really am hopeful that some of the things that you just mentioned, Christopher, are going to make a big difference. I'll offer one more practical suggestion here, and I call it staying in the ache. Right? There is an ache that is aroused, a yearning that is aroused that seeks satisfaction. Sexual sin does not satisfy it. It gives some semblance of satisfaction, which is why we can easily fall into it. But we all know it doesn't really reach the ache. Stay in the ache. The next time you are in a situation with your boyfriend where this ache is presenting itself, uh, hold each other's hands and remain holding each other's hands and remain in the ache, but offer it together to the Lord, saying flat out what needs to be said, Lord, we feel this ache, and this ache is telling us we want to engage in this or that behavior, and name it, say what it is, and say, Lord, we give this ache to you. We ask you right now, right here, for the grace to stay in this ache and offer this ache as a prayer. Guess what? The ache already is a prayer. That's what I meant earlier when I said sexual sin is, is really a misdirected prayer. That's really what it is. Now, some, I'm, I'm sure, are thinking out there, Christopher, what they need to do if they're in the temptation, is not hold each other's hands and say a prayer. They need to get out of each other's presence. They need to run the opposite direction from each other. Okay, maybe in some situations that's necessary. Uh, sometimes the building's on fire, and the, the way you save your life is by getting the heck out of it. Yes, there could be that situation. But I, I, I am going to assume a level of maturity here in which you can look each other in the eyes, hold each other's hands, I mean both hands, holding both hands, stay there. If you stay holding each other's hands, your hands aren't going to go elsewhere. And remain in the ache and learn, press into the, don't try to repress that ache, learn how to open that ache to the Lord in prayer. God is real, and God really and truly wants to meet us in our yearning. That doesn't mean it's easy. There's a painful Passover we have to go through here. But stay, learning how to stay in the ache is critical. Uh, a, prayer, a, psalm for, a line from the Psalms that I pray whenever I'm in temptations to go to my idols to satisfy my ache is, 
I treasure your promises in my heart, O Lord, lest I sin against you. I believe that's Psalm 119. I don't know the verse, but Psalm 119. I treasure your promises in my heart, O Lord, lest I sin against you. What are his promises? I have put this yearning in your heart not to frustrate you, not to, not to toy with you. I have put this ache in your heart to lead you to me. Entrust this ache to me. Another line from the, verse, from the verses of the Psalms that's coming to mind. Open wide your mouth and I will fill it, says the Lord. When we sin sexually, or in, in any number of ways when we sin, but here we're talking about sexual sin, we are precisely not doing that. We are not opening our mouth to the Lord. We're not opening our hunger. We're not opening our ache. We're not opening our yearning for love and union to the Lord. We are taking satisfaction into our own hands. And so in the Passover, from unchastity to chastity, there is that necessary painful Passover of staying in the ache until we're in a place of total trust in our yearning that God really does want to satisfy the deepest hungers of our heart for love and for union. Do we have another question for this episode? Yes, yes. This is from a listener named Patricia. Hello, Patricia. Patricia says, I know that the sins we commit come with consequences. Almost every sin I can think of has a negative consequence. But when it comes to fornication, well, obviously, sometimes the consequences could be negative in terms of AIDS or sexually transmitted diseases. But sometimes God's will is to give the couple who engaged in fornication a child, which I believe is always a blessing, no matter the circumstances in which the child was conceived. Why do you think God would intend this, to bless people with children while all other sins have negative consequences? I can't think of any other sin that has the possibility of giving us a blessing. Wow. Oh, well, guess what? This is the nature of God. Every sin we commit, every sin we commit has a curse and a possible blessing. <laughs> this is the nature of God. Let me, I know that could be misunderstood, so bear with me. Let me, let me address what I'm really trying to say here. Sin is damaging, always, in every single situation, sin is damaging. It hurts us, it hurts others, it ruptures us, and if unrepented, the consequences are eternal, right? We don't pussyfoot with sin. Sin is damaging, always and in every situation. Yes. But here is the merciful heart of God, our Father. He permits sin. He permits these evils in our lives. And he has given us, first of all, he's given us the freedom that allows, I mean, sin, let's also say this, is an abuse of freedom. But God could have made us without freedom. Uh, He could have made us another squirrel or another irrational creature, right? A creature without reason, right? We have reason, we have free will. Why did God give us this? As the capacity to love. The flip side of the capacity to love is the capacity to sin. Love is what we're looking for. Love is what heals. Love is what um, fulfills. Sin is the opposite of love. It always damages. And yet, God allows us the possibility of sin 
only because, and this is right out of the Catechism, he is capable of bringing about a greater good. God allows the abuse of freedom. He allows evil in this world. He allows sin in this world. The Catechism says, only because he is so almighty that he has the ability to bring about a greater good through each and every one of our sins than could have existed had we not had the ability to commit sin. Now, St. Paul, facing this mystery of God's benevolent goodness and mercy and almighty power to bring good out of evil, he faces this squarely. I believe this is his letter to the Romans. And he says, does this mean we should commit sin so that God will bring about a greater good? If you think this way, your condemnation is deserved, he says, right? We should never commit sin because we know God, well, I'll just commit the sin and God will bring a greater good out of it. Uh, No, if that's our attitude, again, as Paul says, our condemnation is deserved. But let me zoom in on sexual sin here. Let's, Let's take the most horrific of situations. Let's take an act of sexual violence. We all know that children can be conceived through acts of sexual violence. This was never God's intention. And yet, God is here blessing the world and that woman, and even, dare we say it, that man with a child. What is going on? It seems to me, and I know this is not the only perspective on it, there's another other angles here, but it seems to me very clearly that God is saying, do not despair. You who are the victim of this evil, you who are even the perpetrator of this evil, do not despair. I, the Almighty God, am capable of bringing about the greatest good possible, which is the creation of another human life. That's the greatest good possible. That's the greatest good possible, the creation of another human life. And God is saying, I am capable of bringing the greatest good possible even out of this horrific evil. This is who I am. To the fornicating couple, you know, let's assume it's not an act of violence. Uh, It's an act of, of fornication to people who know each other and fall into sexual sin. They're not married. God is saying, I trust you. You've, you've made a mistake here, but embrace this life. And, and there are different ways to embrace that life. You can embrace that life by offering that child for adoption. You can embrace that life by, by raising that child yourself. You could allow that child to, to challenge you, to look at whether you're called to marriage. These are all great goods that God can bring out and wants to bring out of bad situations. This is the nature of our God. So I would just encourage you, Patricia, to to recognize this is the nature of our God. Press into that. He is so almighty as to bring a greater good, and we can call it a blessing, as you said, out of our sins. This is who he is. Mm -hmm. Look at Good Friday. Good Friday is the sum total concentration of all human sin hurled at the Son of God, and the church has the audacity to call that day good, because the greatest good was accomplished on that day, our redemption. Right there is God bringing about the greatest good from the greatest evil. This is who he is. Wow. Hmm. I often think, too, if you looked at at the other 
possibility, which would be that babies could only be brought about by an act of love, we would be denying what God has put into the language of our bodies, Mm. that we are made to only unite ourselves as that gift that is a forever gift that provides the environment for raising a child. The fact that the Lord brings children about through this helps us to understand the meaning of the action. If that were not possible, we would conclude that God means us to just follow our instincts. It would it would take away the awesome meaning that God has put into our bodies as men and women that we can clearly understand because of the gift of new life. And guess what? If children were only able to be conceived through a pure act of love, none of us would exist. <laughs> because no everybody on planet Earth has fornication, adultery, prostitution, all kinds of sexual sins in our family tree at some point. And God foresaw all of it and says, let me still, let me show you the great good I'm going to bring about here. This is the nature of our God. You are that good. Wow. May you know that in your bones that you are that good, that you are an indispensable, irreplaceable, unrepeatable gift of life and love become what you are. Ask Christopher West is brought to you by the Theology of the Body Institute with music by Mike Mangione. Christopher and Wendy hope that the information provided is helpful to you, but remind you that they are not licensed counselors. If you are going through serious difficulty, a list of trusted counselors and psychologists can be found in the show notes. Thank you.